0: Hi, I'm Ben Thompson, Doctor of Audiology. This is a podcast to help you with tinnitus, hearing loss, or hearing aid technology. Let's get ahead with today's episode. Earlier this year, I was invited to be the host of the Palo Alto, California Tinnitus Support Group as a guest speaker, and I completed that guest Presentation on three tinnitus case studies, three success stories that I've worked with over the years. To this day, that has been one of the most important presentations I've given for Tinnitus. And I was invited by Ken Adler, among other hosts of this local support group. Ken is now a guest on my podcast here today. Ken, please introduce yourself and tell us some backstory about how you developed an interest of helping people with tinnitus.
1: Short story. <laughs> Um, I myself uh, experienced tenetists. I have since uh, January of 1995. It's been a long and sometimes very harsh and daunting journey to get to to a place of, um, for the most part, managing the condition.
0: Get right into the heart of what we want to share here because when people watch this on YouTube and are learning about what can they take out of this, some some tips, some knowledge, some nuggets, you've helped a lot of people. You've witnessed many people progress with tinnitus and support them. What are the key messages that you keep telling people over and over in this role that you're in?
1: First of all, there is hope. Uh, and as you know, Ben, uh, from your experience, people come to us in, in a great state of desperation and distress sometimes. I call it the, the, uh, the existential dilemma. What to do? What happened to me? How can I fix it? And one of the daunting questions is, I can barely tolerate this condition now. How can I fix it? So hope is important to instill. Restoring people's sense of personal agency, and I mean by that the ability to act on one's own behalf proactively in the environments, both internal and external, to make change, to recoup one's sense of loss of of, of health and so forth. So that's an important ingredient to, to, to encourage that. They may have heard messages from their professionals that there is no hope, there is no cure. Are there no cures? There's nothing you can do about it. That's an actual quote. So in a sense, we do damage control. Yes, you can. Yes, you can help yourself. This, this challenge of tinnitus for many of us is a journey of involving trial and error, involving um, selecting professionals who can help you, who, who are empathic. Don't give up the ship. And one of the strengths of what we do of our community uh, is that of being an empathic community. We also must be a resource community and an informed community. Those are the three mainstays of the work. And people who stay with us, who buy into the whole concept of support, are people who are willing, despite their own challenges, some of them very daunting to be empathic towards other people to listen with compassion, to reflect on uh, compassionately with it. People say, talk about our own experiences. This has worked for me in the past. Maybe this will help you. And it's just a very powerful element of what I consider a successful support network, extending its outreach and embracing people coming in. I appreciate Um,
0: that. I appreciate that. I wanna ask you, what do you see as the common stages of tinnitus right what we've learned through our own focus groups working with patients in our in our company is that there's an urgent care phase insomnia high stress high anxiety panic and then there's a more longitudinal phase what have you guys seen and how do you communicate that with your support group
1: we see all of that the people that who join us for the first time however they've gotten to us maybe through the ata website word of mouth, or even recommendation from the medical uh, professionals that they've contacted. So we're, we're constantly dealing with that sense of urgency and um, futility that the people coming, joining us for the first time are experiencing. One of Again, one of the benefits of, of the community is those who are further along the journey of brain adaptation can offer, if you will, counsel, encouragement to those who are actively in crisis when they come to us. One of the indicators that people are moving along on this this continuum of the phases that you described is a statement by one of our participants, long-term participants. She said, I have tinnitus. Tinnitus does not have me. And um, that's remarkably profound, speaking to what she has been able to accomplish for herself and the message that she propagates to people who are in the the early throes of this condition. So we see the whole gamut of what you just described.
0: I want to bring something up. I've hosted group meetings at interval basis, and I've spoken with a lot of patients, mostly who I work with one-on-one via telehealth. And they tell me, some of them tell me that the group setting can be too triggering that hearing someone else's darkness, hearing someone else's struggle, someone else's challenges can almost re-traumatize us or make us feel and feel what they're going through in a way that doesn't actually serve the individual. Have you gotten similar feedback? When is a group for tinnitus? When is it a good idea and in your experience, when might that not be the right time or place for a group?
1: Yes, we have people who, uh, upon joining us, perhaps out of curiosity or desperation or, or what have you, find that to be the case, that is too overwhelming for them. A support group is not one that everybody challenged with a condition is necessarily ready for. And um, yes, people do say, uh, this is overwhelming for me. I, I feel the discussion just triggers my awareness and, uh, and I feel overwhelmed. Those people uh, probably are better off doing individual therapeutic work. And maybe at some point, their readiness to talk about the condition when they have moved further along on the continuum, uh, they, they, would, they would benefit from joining us. So I certainly understand that not everybody is ready to talk about the condition, uh, understanding that yes, it does bring it to consciousness. However, there's a there is a positive side of this. Me, uh, as a person afflicted with synodus, being willing to listen empathically to other people, to support them, requires a certain um, strength and resilience on my part. So I see that being part of what we can cultivate with people who join us. And many seem to be ready to do it. Now, occasionally, we have people who come into the midst of our group, our Zoom sessions, who are highly transactional individuals. They have a very limited agenda. And basically, they're saying, here's what I got for you. What do you got for me? When they find out we're not talking about cures, when they find out that we don't openly uh, validate necessarily what they have to tell us, they're gone. Uh, so the community is very self-selecting in that sense, a willingness, a readiness to, to talk about yourself and even allow yourself to be triggered by the, by the kinds of thoughts uh, and the awareness of the, the presence, the daunting presence of the tentatives.
0: Can I, to, um, I myself
1: can, don't experience that kind of uh, reaction to the, to the conduct of, of our conversations.
0: Got it. Can I want to ask you a question. Yeah. Point blank. Have you seen patients reduce the volume of their tinnitus over time? Can this get better? Have you yes. seen it?
1: Yes. yes why, do,
0: why do so many doctors not know that?
1: Well, Ben, you've touched on a nerve here. Uh, I'm hoping you could shed some light on that. When we I can come, talk about
0: that. Why don't, I, I you, why, have, don't, why don't you explain the, the patient perspective of, you've seen people get better with this condition. What does that look like? Is it the volume of tinnitus going down? Is it the perception of tinnitus? What have you seen? And then I'll talk about the doctor perspective.
1: Sure. People report over time while utilizing different means of, of intervention with the condition. Some uh, will say that the 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 noise has diminished, and I believe some of the sound therapies are effective. Uh, can be effective in reducing the actual volume and even the character of the noise. The disyncro system, for example, seemed to work for some people very well. Is it the perception of the sound, or is it the shall we say the shift of consciousness away from the uh, awareness of the sound? I think it's a combination of the two. And people do report that they are less daunted by the sound, that they have, uh, so to speak, placed it on a side burner, their awareness on a side burner or a back burner. And um, to their surprise, find that they're getting uh, reconnected with the things that they loved in their lives. So these kind of stories uh, certainly are inspiring and encouraging for other people. Who are newly into this journey and their lives are hell because of the, the the disruption that the condition has has brought about.
0: Yeah, you've shared that the volume can reduce and the mm-hmm. perception of the sound can improve, and that's considered habituation yeah. and neuroplasticity. The brain can change, the brain can mm-hmm. rewire. And that's what we all try to promote in the support groups, daily practices. Professional services, counseling, sound therapy, different kinds of treatments. It's all trying to promote that healthy brain change, the neuroplasticity. Indeed. From the doctor perspective, why do many doctors not understand that there's a spectrum, that there's a continuum of to what degree does one have tinnitus? It's not black or white. I think that's the major error here is that. In a textbook, a doctor may learn, oh, this is a black or white condition. You either have it or you don't. And if I am in a doctor role, as especially if I was a medical doctor, I would think, can I cure it or is it managed? Can I cure it or does someone else take care of it? Well, from a medical doctor, physician role, it, it's not cured. There's no pill surgery procedure that takes it away. Therefore, it's someone else's matter to help you with because I as the MD don't know really what to do. So the language is to try to be as direct and honest with the patient. So I think it's coming from from their perspective, an honest place of look, this is not something that they know how to uh, facilitate the process of reducing or getting better. So then the patient has to almost find it out on their own. If they're lucky, they will see a good ENT or a good audiologist who may point them in the right direction, but still there's lots of work that has to come from the individual to research find the right professional, find the right services, and so on. So it's, it's definitely one of our collective missions to better educate physicians that tinnitus is a continuum, that it's not black or white. So if you have an 8 out of 10 degree of tinnitus in 6 to 18 months, that could become a 2 out of 10 tinnitus. And that is important to celebrate and to share Absolutely. That story is very common. So from a medical perspective, well, you still have the condition. So you still have to learn how to live with it because you're still living with it to some degree. But if my shoulder has an 8 out of 10 pain and then in a year it's a 2 out of 10 pain, I'm living a healthy life. I'm skiing. I'm surfing. I'm doing the things I love. Right. What are your thoughts? And you want to expand on the, on the patient perspective of that?
1: Well, we understand that the, the tinnitus is not an on or a go or no go proposition. It, gets, it can be extremely complicated. And I would hope that through your influence, that of you and your colleagues, that you will, shall we say, woke some of these other professionals who know very little about the condition haven't made it a point to, to, to make this condition. And when they make, shall we say, reality rub statements, there's no cures, go home and live with it, and hard to believe, there's nothing you can do about it. These same people do not provide resource information. I would respect a professional who admits to his client straight up, I don't know much about this. I'm not specialized in this condition. Let me refer you to my colleague or so-and-so in another setting and provide resource information, a fact sheet if you will. Here are some suggestions about how you can help yourself. For some of us, the pronouncements, no cures, nothing you can do about it, go home and live with it without supportive resource information is devastating. And I often say that this is what you've heard from your professional, it's time to look for someone else who can help you. It doesn't
0: help help that this is a doctor who's supposed to know all the answers. So when you hear it from them, you believe
1: it. It's, It's a prophecy. That is, some of us react to it that way, that this is prophetic. So here we are in a support network saying, no, that's not true. Yes, there is a burden of responsibility on you to learn how to manage this condition. But there's also help for you. And there's also resources we're going to provide those resources for you as best we can.
0: And what were the timelines in your own history? Would you care to share your own journey? How much time were you in a more urgent urgent care type phase? How much time did it take for you to manage this to the point where you felt, okay, I'm back to normal. I feel like myself.
1: Hmm. Good question. The first year of my dealing with um, tinnitus was a very complicated and daunting year. In addition to having the ringing in the right side of my head, my right ear, uh, I was diagnosed with yeast overgrowth, a leaky gut. And there were times when uh, I would eat something and I, it would ex- exacerbate the ringing. I'd stereophonic ringing and it's because my immune system was activated when it should not have been because of the leaky gut situation. Anybody can do some research on what exactly that entails. So for a year, I spent no sugar, no fermented food of any kind. I had to be in that regimen to clean myself out. And at the end of the year, I noticed I was feeling healthier and the volume level seemed to come down a notch or two. Now, from that point on, I still had several challenges. Sleep deprivation was a big item. And uh, it's one we talk about a lot in the course of our, of our groups, how to restore your sleep. When your neurotransmitters don't replenish from sleep deprivation, you don't function well. And uh, we don't really have to be explicit about that. Most people in, in, the, in the throes of this understand that already. I would say that it took me probably a good, a good four years, maybe longer, to get to a point where I felt like I have this condition, but it doesn't dominate me. There are things that I can do. When the ringing amps up and the medication and the other practices that I incorporated don't work for me, I need to take a walk. I need to get out. And so there were several long walks at nighttime when I would prefer preferred to have been sleeping. This may sound a little ridiculous, but I think relocating to uh, California because of the uh, climate also uh, ushered in some improvement for me some stability uh, and being able to predict when it might the condition might worsen but also gave me some leeway and that's not far-fetched I I learned early on that uh, atmospheric pressure changes can be a variable in the in the in the mix of of um, factors that intensify or mitigate against the tentatives. So I think it was, I would say it probably took me four to five years to really get to a point where I felt like um, I'm not mastered by this condition. And that's not to say that people can't do better on the journey of, Experiencing some uh, some effective mitigation and getting back to uh, uh, some normalcy of life.
0: And in fact, the majority of patients are much sooner. Have you have you experienced that with your support group?
1: Uh, I would say so. And of course, there are there are now apps. There's uh, various sound therapies that are available on the marketplace that were not during the the years that I was dealing with the early stages of, of brain adaptation. So, yes, we have people reporting some rather impressive and dramatic uh, changes as far as the mitigation, the perception of the noise, and uh, getting back in touch with life as they loved it, as they lived it, uh, in a much shorter space of time than myself.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Ken. Thank you so much for sharing that and your service to the community. What we know is there is natural brain adaptation. There is natural conditioning where the brain learns. This sound of tinnitus is not actually threatening and it can adapt naturally. What professionals try to do, what good support groups are doing, what technology can help with is inducing that habituation, inducing that adaptation to make it happen as quickly, as easily as possible. But the hard part is it still takes time. And I made a post on LinkedIn where I said that managing tinnitus is a marathon. And another gentleman who has had tinnitus for a long time, who works in our industry, he responded and he said, actually, I believe it's an ultra marathon. So. The advice here is for us to be patient. If we have one bad day, it's okay. It's not going to rock the boat or change the direction you're going in. And to come at this with a long-term approach, and that's Mm -hmm. the best way to reduce the condition itself. Ken, do you have any final words or any last messages for the community and how someone may be able to be in touch with your support group?
1: Sure. We are the uh, Palo Alto Tennis Support Group sponsored by the Avenida Senior Center in, in um, Palo Alto. Uh, I am very grateful for the administrative support of uh, Tracy McLeod, who is the center director, uh, for the uh, technical support of Kat King, who is the, our behind the scenes Zoom coordinator, and uh, the, the contribution of Dr. Amy Nelson. Of um, uh, Kaiser Permanente, who has been a real mainstay and given our group depth of professional a professional presence, uh, and I want to thank the many participants who come to us from ver- under various circumstances and um, show again and again that first and foremost we are an empathic community. We are here to help each other navigate the dark days that uh, um, we encounter on that road to brain adaptation and and normalization. I'm just grateful that we have the resources that we do and we have the people that we do to to line up and support us. People can learn about us by going to the uh, ATA uh, website, which will give you a listing regionally of providers. People can contact me directly via my email
0: I'll put that email in the uh, below right. the YouTube video and then people can find you through right. there, okay? Absolutely. All right, Absolutely. Ken Ken, thank you so much. You've been a great guest. Value thank your you. perspective and again, thank you for the help that you have uh, consistently put out for your support group. Everyone, thank you for watching this podcast episode. This was a special one. Make sure to listen to the other podcast episodes to get some excellent information on tinnitus. Thank you so much. This is Dr. Ben Thompson, your host. Bye bye. Hey, real quick, before you finish listening to this podcast, this is Dr. Ben Thompson speaking. I wanted to say thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It means the world to me. I ask you for a quick favor. If you have two minutes, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five star review and leave a comment, I read every comment, and it means the world to me. If you're engaging and returning some love,
1: I really appreciate that. Thank you so much and I'll see you again for the next episode. Bye.